In the book of Hebrews, we have it stated to us many times that Jesus is the greatest. The greater Moses, the greater David, greater than the angels. But first of all, he's the greatest word when we understand the text. This is When We Understand the Text, a daily Bible study in the Word of Christ, that men and women of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Tell your friends about our ministry at www.utt.com. Here's your teacher, Pastor Gabe. Thank you, Becky. We come back to our study in the book of Hebrews. I began yesterday with an introduction to the book of Hebrews. If you haven't listened to that yet, I would encourage you to go back and listen to Monday's episode. Today, I'm going to try to cover the first seven verses of chapter one and, God willing, get through the next seven verses tomorrow. So let me begin by reading Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 7, out of the Legacy Standard Bible, This is the word of the Lord. God, having spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, spoke to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power, who, having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. So let's come back to the start here, where in verses one through four, the writer wants us to know that Jesus is the greatest word. Oftentimes, when we talk about Christ being the greater than in the book of Hebrews, we will talk about him being the greater Moses. He is the greater David. He is the greater high priest. He is the greater sacrifice. But I rarely hear it said that Jesus is the greater word. But that's exactly the way that we have Christ demonstrated to us in the very opening verses of the book of Hebrews. Long ago, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We have the greater word in Christ Jesus. And oh, how amazing that is to see that at the beginning of the book of Hebrews. Whenever we think about traditional statements of faith or biblically doctrinally sound statements of faith, how do they often begin? There's often some kind of a testament to belief in the scriptures. Like you think about the London Baptist Confession 1689, the very first article is, we believe the Bible is the word of God. Specifically, chapter one, paragraph one says, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Paragraph two, under the name of Holy Scripture or the word of God written, are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testaments, 
which are these? And then the statement of faith actually lists. These are the books that we believe belong in the Old Testament. These are the books that belong in the New Testament. All 66 books gathered in canon. This is the word of God. That's how a solid statement of faith begins, because everything else in that statement of faith is going to flow from what's in the Bible. So you want to declare first, we believe the Bible is the word of God. And that infallible word that is authoritative for us and for every single person. So we have here at the start of Hebrews a declaration that Christ is the greatest word. That is such a great way to start off this particular sermon. Remember, as I mentioned yesterday, Hebrews being a sermon that has been written down and distributed to the churches. So we have in verse 1, God, having spoken long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. You think about all the different ways that God had spoken to the prophets through a burning bush, through a talking donkey. <laughs> and, and that prophet, that guy that uh, the donkey talked to, Balaam, was not a godly man and he would be judged by God. But nonetheless, God used a donkey to speak his word to a false prophet who was going to try to issue a, a curse upon Israel and could not do it because God would not allow him to. Ezekiel talked about how the very presence of God would enter him when he spoke to him. Daniel received certain visions, visions that would even haunt him. And God sent an angel to interpret to Daniel what the vision meant. So they might hear directly from God or there would have been a vision or there could have been uh, something that the prophet had to do, like Isaiah walking around naked <laughs> for three years. And that was going to be a prophecy to the people. There, there, these were the various ways in many portions and in many ways that God spoke to his people through the prophets and God would use the prophets to prepare the coming of Christ. And John the Baptist would become the last prophet in that respect. Prophets would tell the people to repent because certain disaster would come upon them if they did not. Prophets demonstrated the fellowship that God had with his people. He tested the people in their attitude toward God. And the prophets contributed to the writing of the word of God. We often refer to the Old Testament as law and prophets. When you see that in the New Testament, a reference to law and prophets, it's basically the culmination of the entire Old Testament, all the books that, that would therefore be contained. So these were some of the ways God spoke through his prophets to the people and the things that God intended with the words that the prophets would say to the people. By the way, every time the prophets spoke to the people, it actually was the word of God. The prophet was never mistaken because that test was given to the people in Deuteronomy 13 and in 18, that if the prophet said a word that did not come to pass, then what he said to you did not come from God and he was supposed to be put to death. So the prophet never got that wrong. Whatever he said to the people actually came from the Lord. Prophets were still fallible human beings and there were times that the prophets did stupid and even sinful stuff. You think about Jonah running the other direction, <laughs> fleeing from God's will and going to Tarshish rather than obeying God and going to Nineveh and telling them to repent. But nonetheless, whenever the prophet spoke a word from God, that was a word from God. And sometimes that word would even be authenticated with miraculous signs, just as was the case with the apostles. In verse two, the preacher here says in these last days. God spoke to us in his son. 
whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. So we have a word that's even greater than the law and the prophets. We have the word of Christ, the one who is the heir of all things. Everything belongs to him through whom he made the worlds. He made everything and everything belongs to him. God made all things through the son and he's given all things to the son. So how could there be any word greater than his? You think about the fact that God brought all things into existence by the speaking of a word. Going back to Genesis chapter one, he said, let there be light. And there was light. We know by what is said in John one, in Colossians one, and in Hebrews one, that it was specifically Christ who said, let there be light. Consider the word of God from John one verses one through three. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Boy, that sounds a lot like what we're reading here in Hebrews chapter one, right? Consider Colossians one beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation for in him. All things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So when we read in Genesis 1-3 that God spoke into the darkness and brought light just by commanding its existence... It was specifically Christ who brought those things to be by his own voice. When we read about him preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, the voice that the people heard was the very voice that created them. Now, of course, in those moments, they're listening to the voice of God incarnate, not God in all of his glory, which they wouldn't be able to stand. It would melt their brains, you know, (laughs) but it was it was God in human flesh, the son who would come to dwell among us, to show us the father, to teach us things beyond what we had already heard from the law and the prophets, because Christ is the greatest word. We read here in verse three that he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. I was talking about this with my wife just the other night. We were thinking about something or there was something local that had happened. It was just despicably evil in another community, but it was still nearby to where we were. And we were reading about this and just pondering how evil things are. And there are sometimes I think we can get into our bubbles and forget about just how bad it is out there. What a blessed thing it is for me to work in ministry and be a part of such a godly church that I don't encounter some of those things in the secular world on a regular basis like some members in my congregation probably do. I've worked as a chaplain in the police department before and I've uh, you know done ride-alongs with the officers that are on patrol and things like that. I've had a small taste of their world and I've heard their stories. 
Many of you know that the last church that I pastored was primarily military. So a lot of the men in my congregation had seen active combat and they've witnessed the the wicked side of having to do battle with the enemy. And then I've also talked to missionaries that have gone into very depraved parts of the world to share the gospel whether police officers or soldiers or missionaries, spiritual soldiers on the battlefield. These are just a few of the occupations that see the the most wicked side of humanity. Things are really, really bad out there, folks. It's amazing that we don't destroy one another on any given day. The only thing that is keeping us from tearing each other apart by our own depravity and wickedness and sin in this world The only thing that is keeping this globe and the solar system and everything else from flying apart at the seams is Christ. He upholds all things by his word, by the word of his power. He brought it all into existence by his word. He's holding it all together by his word. That same word governs over each and every one of us. We're reading that word right here, opening up the Bible and studying from it so that we may know how to live a life that is pleasing unto our creator. He who is holy and mighty and above all things, he who alone is worthy of our worship. He upholds all things by the word of his power, who having accomplished cleansing for sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sits on the greatest throne. And remember, even having that picture of Christ sitting on a throne is a picture of a word. Because when the king sits enthroned, whatever he commands, his kingdom must do. And so with Christ on his throne, we see the greatness of his word. Jesus is the greatest word. Verse four, having become so much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And that's how we finish up this section, talking about Christ being the greatest word. And then going into the next part of this, where the preacher is going to argue that Christ is even greater than the angels. The angels were, of course, majestic, powerful beings. They were considered holy ones. They're pure and right next to God. They get to walk in and out of the presence of God. So are there any beings higher than they? Yes, the preacher argues, the son. He who uh, even bridges that gap of fellowship between God and us. We are able to come into the presence of God. We know that our prayers are heard by God because of Christ. He who is our mediator on our behalf, seated at the right hand of his majesty, of the majesty on high. So the argument now turns toward knowing that Christ is greater than the angels. Verse five, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. The first of our Old Testament references in the book of Hebrews is from Psalm 2. When we read in Psalm 2, 7, I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations 
as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. We know it was the son, Jesus Christ, that the psalmist was writing about there in Psalm 2. That's what Hebrews 1 reveals to us. Once again, showing to the readers who are first of all Hebrews before this letter also goes out to the Gentiles, but helping them to see and recognize that Christ is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. And he's even the greater word than what was given to them through the prophets. So you are my son today. I have begotten you. And again, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me. Another old Testament reference. Where does that come from? That's the Davidic covenant. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, consider what the Lord said to David, beginning in verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up one of your seed after you who will come forth from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. Now, surely that's talking about Solomon, right? After all, he built the house of God. But then what did Solomon do? He also built the high places to false gods, and he lost favor with the Lord. His kingdom was clearly not established. In fact, both the northern kingdom, the Israelites, and the southern kingdom, the Jews, would be sent into exile into the hands of their enemies. That temple would be torn down. And even the temple that would come later on would eventually be torn down and is not standing in Jerusalem to this day. So who was the Lord referring to there when he said, I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me and I will establish his kingdom forever. Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of David and the throne that he sits on has been established forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, that being that, that being stated here fully to the Hebrews, that they understand the house of God that is being built, the fulfillment of that Davidic covenant, that house is not a literal temple on earth. It is the church, the household of God that is being built up unto the Lord. And also understanding that the kingdom of Christ is not of this world, but is a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual people which we are. These are the first two references that we have here. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. And then verse six, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, and let all the angels of God worship him. All of the angels worship Christ. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers flaming fire. That's from Psalm 104. The angels are made. Christ is not. He has no beginning and no end. Though his incarnation has a definite beginning. That was when Christ was born into this world. And, you know, whenever that was zero B.C. (laughs) Not really, but you know what I mean? Uh, When when Christ put on flesh and dwelt among us. That was the beginning of his incarnation. But he, the son who is submitted to the will of the father, yet has no beginning and no end. 
We just read and considered from John 1, Colossians 1, and here in Hebrews 1, that he's the creator of all things. If he is the creator of everything seen and unseen, then he himself cannot be created. So he is not the first of God's creation. He is God who created everything. He is equal in substance with God. That was stated back in verse 3. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power and also did this for us, cleansed our sins. And having accomplished that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Death did not conquer him. He conquered death and ascended into heaven where he now presently reigns, even over the angels who worship him. And the angels are made ministers in flaming fire. So those angels are subjected to his command, his rule, and they do his bidding. So he has a position that is even higher than the angels. There is no way to come out of Hebrews chapter one and become a Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> they believe that Jesus is the archangel Michael, but a healthy reading of Hebrews one will establish he is no such thing. Christ is not an angel. He is greater than the angels. He who sits enthroned on high, and it is said of him here, even in verse 8, which we'll come to tomorrow, that he is God. Verse 8, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, is God. The greatest word, greater than the angels. And all of this is being established here at the beginning of Hebrews because the charge and the exhortation that's going to be given to the hearers is don't lose the gospel. Remain steadfast. Hold firm. You are not waiting for something greater to come along. The greatest has already been given to us. That is Jesus Christ. So if you have heard the greatest word, which is the gospel of his name, then hold fast to that and don't lose it. For as it is said later in chapter two, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? That salvation first spoken by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. That is the word that has been confirmed for us the greatest word, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness that you have shown to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins that he accomplished by his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave so that all who believe in him, our sins are forgiven and we have the promise of resurrection as well that we may reign forever with Christ in glory. So keep us steadfast in this faith and give us boldness to declare the gospel to others in this sick, dying, perishing world which is coming into judgment so that all who believe in the name of Christ may be saved. Secure us for your kingdom work while we are in this world. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Pastor Gabe keeps a regular blog sharing personal thoughts, alerting readers to false teachers, and offering commentary on the church and social issues. You can find a link to the blog through our website, www.utt.com. 
Thank you for listening and join us again tomorrow as we continue our study in God's Word when we understand the text.